0: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
2: You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Yokohama Avid Ascend LX. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, and suspension, just to name a few. Everything you need to elevate your drive. You can go to TireRack.com slash Dan, TireRack.com. The way tire buying should be. You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. He's Greg Sankey, the SEC Commissioner, who joins us on the program. Good to have you back, Commissioner. I'm wondering when you go to a party, how often or how long does it take before somebody brings up football in the SEC and what other schools you're going to add?
3: Uh, About 30 seconds right now, (laughs) you know, it varies. So last summer it flared and then we play the season and then other topics take over in season. And then (laughs) the last, what, six, seven weeks, it's been the first question in most encounters.
2: Kind of hard to hide what you do for a living, isn't it?
3: It is. In fact, I was at a little breakfast place two weeks ago in a place called Skinny Atlas, New York, where I grew up and I finished a conversation with someone and the guy next to me walks up and says, hey, I love when you're on the Dan Patrick show. And I'm not making this up just to just to play up to the host. And I was trying to figure out the last time I'd been on. And uh, it was probably pandemic, era, Yes, yeah. it seems like. But, but it happens. And, and then the, the question was, hey, what do you think is going to happen with all this conference movement?
2: How would you sum up the last year?
3: Oh, wow. You know, I, I went to our staff last year at this time, and I said, what if last year was the easy year, meaning 2021, when we were in the middle of the pandemic, just to think about the issues we face? Um, it has been relentless. Uh, No complaints in that because part of the job of leadership is to deal with those challenges head on. And and Dan, I actually went away for the the 4th of July weekend thinking naively I'd have five days just to read books and not think about football or baseball. You know, Old Miss had just won the College World Series and then literally the first morning of what I thought would be my long weekend was uh, the USC UCLA News. And it just ramps up. Not that we were, trying to do something, you know, we we had made what I think is a great move last year with the additions of Oklahoma and Texas, but just dealing with all the incoming inquiries, both inside my league and from the outside of my league.
2: What do you consider the biggest threat to the ability, uh, stability of uh, college athletics today?
3: Sometimes it's hard to reduce that just to one one meaningful issue. I think one of the big threats is the ability to have a common national standard for competition. You know, national championships, the Final Four, the College World Series, the college football playoff, have been based on some commonality of competition. Um, and as we're in this new era of decisions by states to, to legislate um, how we administer college athletics, uh, the legal challenges to the NCAA's authority, Um, I I would suggest that the stability issues are affected greatly by the ability to have a national platform. Then every time you have this this conference movement at at the high end, it certainly magnifies the concern about stability and consistency and, and really sustainability.
2: Can you still have a home office for the NCAA? Can the NCAA continue to be the NCAA
3: Uh, I think so. One of the, the mantras that I shared with our coaches is things are never going to be the way they were. And we have to understand that reality, but it doesn't have to be the way that it is. And and rather than complaints and criticisms and simple solutions to complex problems, we need some deep engaged thinking, which is challenging given the amount that's happening around us. Uh, and and the the disparate issues of just trying to run leagues on a day-to-day basis. That said I'm one who thinks there's a place for a national association, uh, but but my concern is the ability for the NCA, particularly in Division One, to adapt in in a timely manner in a way that sustains that national platform for for national competition.
2: Would you like to run the NCA?
3: That's really not on my my list of priorities today. I, I um, I've enjoyed. Uh, Would you like to run college football? uh, Same. Because there's not, I'm going to back up and say that's the old czar notion. So czars haven't really worked well in like Russian history or the drug czar. (laughs) And that's about, you know, uh, granting authority to just make decisions. So that's like an extreme hypothetical. Um, I, I think we need some deep thought it was some really focused leaders away from committee structures uh, i tend to think you grab really bright people put them in a room and give them four or five days to figure out solutions you can have the kind of outputs that sustain things moving forward rather than we've got to have everybody represented uh, represented on a committee from every different level so that we satisfy every interest and you know i'm co-chairing a transformation committee which is a lot of work and, and the challenge is we're talking of transformation while we're still stuck in the historical mindset of of college sports we're
2: talking to greg sankey the sec commissioner i know you're a big runner it feels like we're at mile five or six <laughs> of a of a five-year marathon so give me what is your five-year plan for the sec
3: Well, back up. So I've finished 41 marathons in my lifetime and the great lesson of marathoning is, uh, the the misnomer is 13.1 miles is halfway, you know, 20 miles into a marathon. You're halfway because those last six miles (laughs) are are the hard part. Um, if I were to look out, first of all, I don't think you can just say, here's our five-year plan. So we don't engage in strategic planning, per se. We engage here in the Southeastern Conference in strategic thinking, which is every time we gather together, you analyze what's happening, you analyze the issues, you have the right kind of counsel generally from the outside, certainly around legislative and legal issues, and then you think forward. Um, So as I think forward, uh, the NCA has to adapt as an association. We're, We're not in this. Well, maybe we should, maybe we should, and we're seeing some of that right now. Uh, I'll go back though, Dan, to what I observed, that we we have a lot of past thinking that still is attached to how we're making decisions moving forward in a modern era. Um, I think conferences are important. So if you're asking me three to five years out, I think conferences are still important. I think there's meaning for a context of competition. Um, College athletics is very different than professional sports. People can opine about whether or not that's true. Um, I think we need national standards around certain issues. I think certainly academic eligibility and how we conduct ourselves with with education at the center. I think health and safety standards are important. And then I think when we get into recruiting structures, how we play the season, those are important parts. We're continuing to think about how we support student athletes. And there are any number of opinions about that, but that model will continue to adapt as we've seen over the last five years. The question is gonna be, can we do that Uh, in collaboration with people, including our congressional legislators? Or are we going to do that through the the court systems as we've done over the last decade or so?
2: When's the last time you had a university reach out to you to join the SEC? (laughs)
3: Uh, nobody calls and says, can I join? It usually begins with a conversation. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Wanted to talk through some key issues. And then at the end, <laughs> hey, if anything ever changes, let me know. And what I tried to communicate at our media days was really confident in who we are. We're, we're committed and convinced. We made two really wise additions. And I think that shows itself to be true right now in the University of Oklahoma. But when was the, the last time you
2: had that conversation, Commissioner? What's... Last week. Last week, you had a president.
3: Hey, how you doing? No, you know, it's a different, different folks. Hey, how you doing? If you ever think about it, you know, keep us in mind, which is a compliment. That's we're not out on the recruiting trail. We're not looking to go beyond 16. There's not some magic number. Um, And that's where I say, Dan, we're, we're confident and comfortable in the decisions we've made so far.
2: But is there a move that could happen that would change your strategy?
3: Well, we're really aware of what's happening around us, and it's tough to answer every hypothetical. We've we've shown to be adaptable in unique circumstances. So we're gonna continue to, to be adaptable as needed with the priority on who we are. And I'll go back to what I communicated again at our media days, which is, uh, I don't think about numbers. Um, people don't really think through the economics of expansion, so you don't wanna just diminish uh, your financial support to your current members to just add to achieve a number. So philosophical approach to high level, nationally competitive athletics, a cultural fit um, are, are really important. And that's what we've done in our most recent expansions with Texas A&M, Missouri, and now Oklahoma, Texas.
2: Have you heard from Notre Dame?
3: Not I don't talk about uh, membership conversations, but I talked to Jack because we, chaired up, we, we, we shared a role on the college football playoff committee and we're all trying to figure out how to move forward with the college football playoff. So uh, you, you should understand conversations I have go well beyond anything related to, to membership. And those are the appropriate kind of professional conversations we should always have.
2: If you look at the model that could happen in five years, let's say you have 16-team playoff. Let's say maybe you have a four-team playoff in the SEC to get to, you know, number of teams that will qualify for the playoff system. Let's say you have a kind of an AFC and an NFC, and you have maybe 60 teams involved. Do you like where I'm going with any of this stuff there, Commissioner?
3: I'm following the trail of who does what. Um, we, we talked, and in, in I'll go back to the work in the college football playoff that focused on a 12-team approach. And, and I think that was really well-informed and provided some opportunities for conference champions for a lot of at-large berths and still a, a bowl system that could go forward for those teams trying to emerge competitively. When you expand that number, you diminish the likelihood that there's anything more than a playoff. Um, I didn't follow all the numbers. Um, one of the, the news points, uh, somebody probably have to help me back in the spring, uh, early summer was the SEC is going to run its own playoff. And as we looked at our new approach to scheduling, we had conversations about what if, but the notion that we just have a playoff right now is not at the forefront of our thinking.
2: What do you think of what I said about 60 teams and 60, 60? 60, 60?
3: So let's say I, I, I got, focused on sixteen. That's my bad audio. Yes,
2: yeah, six sixty for the entire sport. That you know you have thirty over here, thirty over here. I mean, you almost treat it like it's the NFL from the standpoint of uh, you know you section teams over here, and then they eventually meet for a Super Bowl. Like, uh, could there be relegation in college football? Of you know having sixty teams, and then somebody drops out. And uh, somebody gets uh, promoted.
3: Yeah, so that would be that. That hypothetical would be based on a very different model and structure where people would have to take different approach to their alignments, their scheduling philosophies. And I know, I, I, I thought you had said 16 earlier. Yeah. Let's just pick 60. So <laughs> I'll, I'll play the game. Okay. You know, the first question would be, when are we going to 64 or 68, <laughs> right? So that that's the reality where trying to, to jump in and speculate on numbers becomes um, a, a bit of an inefficient way to evaluate opportunity.
2: But let's say I took the SEC and the Big Ten, and then I – brought in some other stragglers from the Big 12 or Pac-12, and then you just made it two different conferences there. Not everybody makes the playoffs. I'm just saying that that's, you guys just play each other like the the NFC and the AFC. And then you have a 16-team playoff.
3: Yeah, great question, but I'm probably not jumping into that one. Probably smart doing that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's, why, that's why we have to come back and talk more often
2: um so your your role with Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban when that happened so when you hear it or you see it your first phone call is to who
3: um and actually they come to me rather quickly so I first I I was in New York City (laughs) were they summoned Um, Commissioner
2: did you summon Saban and uh no, no, no. There's a, <laughs> there's a
3: picture that circulated on social media as after that had happened. I was like 11 o'clock in New York. One of my staff said, Hey, you need to know oh. about this interview. And by the time I didn't really sleep well that night, cause it's a bit of a kidney punch. No, I'm going to have to deal with it. And then it starts with phone calls the next morning. You speak with both athletics directors. Uh, I talked and listened to both coaches and said, here's what we're going to have to do. And, kind of escalated through the day. And, and then Dan, when we went to our spring meetings, which are held in in Destin, Florida, uh, we we peaked our media attendance and everybody's looking for something to happen. Somebody tweeted out a seating chart from our football coaches meeting, which I never thought I'd have to worry about that particular (laughs) piece of confidentiality. Jimbo was our chair and we had a great deep conversation about what's happening around us in in college football and that's where i began with look you have to understand things are not going to be the way they were whatever we've known for 20 30 years past that's not the way it's going to be but it doesn't have to be the way that it is and what i need is the really bright people around the sport to engage in problem solving with me and that's where accusations and complaints don't solve problems
2: and everybody thinks all you do is deal with football you're the sec commissioner you have to deal with all the ancillary stuff as well
3: i've said to a couple of pro league commissioners and, and coaches and team presidents like if i could have one sport to worry about that'd be like that'd be great but we have 21 championships we're proud of what we do um, and we've got women's soccer competition the preseason competition that starts on our campuses this week and uh, we've got some contenders for the Women's Volleyball National Championship. So we'll get after it, do the best we can to support high-level college sports in a great way.
2: All right. Don't be a stranger. You know, I it, it, felt like you started running your Forrest Gump. You just kept running away from the show there. And, you know, we want to make sure that you don't run too far.
3: It's always important to have something interesting to talk about. So you've got my number. Let me know when you want me back. And that guy in skinny Alice, New York, tell me how great I was again in about three months. I
2: appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, nine to noon Eastern or six to nine Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app
4: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
2: It is getting that time of the year. It's Miller time. You don't need a watch or a clock to tell you. It's Miller time. Weather gets a little bit warmer. All of a sudden, the beer gets a little colder.
4: It's beer cracking
2: season. It, it, whoa, Okay. Miller Lite, the great taste, less filling, tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Patrick, or you can pretty much find it anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer calories, fewer carbs than premium regular beer. Miller Lite, the truly brilliant all-electric EQE SUV from Mercedes-Benz, features some of the smartest tech ever to grace four wheels. With Dynamic Select, you can fine-tune hundreds of vehicle settings to precisely match your driving style. And available in off-road mode, transparent hood lets you see through the sheet metal to steer clear of bumps and potholes directly beneath you. How about that? A 360 array of cameras and sensors constantly alerting you for danger, while 64-color ambient lighting lets you fully customize the ambiance inside the spacious cabin. The EQE SUV is so smart, even the headlights are thinking. Optional digital light technology projects navigation markings and warnings on the road ahead as you drive. The vehicle's all electric. The feeling is all Mercedes. Test drive the EQE SUV. Learn more at mbusa.com slash eqe-suv. I mentioned that Chris Mannix said back in April that, uh, you know, that Boston sort of, Boston basically outcoached. Uh, he got outcoached in the series against the Boston Celtics. And I wondered, and I even said this to Mannix, I've said it to, you know, Woj, like why does Kevin Durant want out? And then we found out after meeting with the Brooklyn Nets owner that he doesn't want to play for Steve Nash and the GM, Sean Marks. We bring in Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated, NBA senior writer. Mannix, how did we get to this point where now it's he doesn't want to play for Steve Nash, who he handpicked to be his head coach in Brooklyn?
5: Yeah,
6: um, it obviously was a combination of things that happened over the course of this year. Because if you're Kevin Durant, I mean you did sign a four-year max-level contract extension just last fall. And you committed to playing for Steve Nash, to playing for Sean Mark. So I I can't say specifically, Dan, it was one thing that pushed Kevin Durant to this point, but it probably had a lot to do with how the roster was put together. It probably had a lot to do with how the James Harden situation was handled. And it certainly had something to do with how the season ended, with Kevin Durant, um, you know, or with the Nets being, you know, soundly beaten by the Celtics. And as I wrote, as you said, outcoached uh, by Ime Udoka in that series. So I don't think it's one thing, but I think it was, it has been a combination of things. And this, you know, in delivering this message. You know, Kevin Durant has probably wiped away any chance you bring him back. Mm. Like This is now out there yeah. that he doesn't want to play for Steve Nash or play under Sean Marks. I don't know how there's any going back from this.
2: Okay, who leaks this? Which side leaks this? Who who benefits from this being out there?
6: I, I can't imagine Kevin Durant leaked it. Like th- This does not feel like something Kevin Durant would want out there or mm. his team would want out there it feels to me and it's more speculation of course but it feels to me like this is something the nets put out there to effectively call durant's bluff to say look because like within hours after that report leaking out Joe josai is tweeting i support the coaching staff he wasn't i mean when is the last time you saw an owner effectively verify a report like i've never even heard of anything like that so um this to me felt like something the nets put out there Hmm to call Durant's bluff, and now it feels like, and I was talking to somebody that's been in contact with the Nets yesterday, it it feels like both sides right now are going to dig in. Like, the Nets are not going to let this lower their asking price, and they're probably going to dare Kevin Durant not to come to training camp in the fall and do what Ben Simmons did, and that doesn't feel like something Kevin Durant wants to do.
2: How does this play out?
6: It, it, again, it, it kind of, you know, all this is is new information, but it does still feel like we're in the same place where we have to see what the Nets' appetite is for going to training camp with this group. I mean, I had one executive who was not involved in the Durant talks text me and say, look, they should just take the Boston offer because Jalen Brown is better than anybody they're going to get in a deal. It's not going to be what they wanted, but – it will net them a 25-year-old all-star wing who's under contract for the next couple of years. So, again, I don't know what Brooklyn's appetite is to go into next season or go into training camp with, you know, this roster currently attacked. And I've said this to you before, Dan, like after the initial Boston stuff broke and everything else, like this is now a game of chicken where teams are going to wait and see how the Nets feel in late August, early September. And if the Nets are still resolved in their asking price for Durant, maybe those offers go a little bit up. If the Nets contact teams and say, look, we'll do it instead for this, those offers uh, will probably stay the same.
2: Any chance Steve Nash is not the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets next year? Or this season?
6: I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. I mean... Look, I've been critical of Steve Nash. You you just said it. Like, I I thought Steve Nash was a bizarre choice two years ago. I think he's a bizarre choice now. Like, it, it was thinking outside the box when there was no need to think outside the box. I mean, Steve has been dealt a tough hand over the last couple of years with the COVID issues and certainly last year with Kyrie, but he has no history of coaching. Like, his coaching before then was effectively parachuting in to Golden State and working with Kevin Durant, you know, a couple of days a month. That's not the kind of coach you want for a championship level team. I mean, it takes coaches a long time to learn how to be great. I mean, Jason Kidd's a great example. Jason Kidd is one of the upper echelon coaches right now, but he had to be awful in Brooklyn and mediocre in Milwaukee before he got to this level. Steve Nash, if he wants to be a great coach, is probably going to have to go through that same type of process. I just thought the Nets smart everybody by bringing in a great player. And Steve Nash is tough to criticize for a lot of people because he's such a great guy. But you only had to watch four games in that Boston series to know that he wasn't an elite coach. Ime Yodoka coached circles around him in that series. So I, I do, I do. That's a long way of saying I do think there's a chance that Steve Nash is not the coach of this team next year.
2: How does any of this impact Kyrie Irving?
6: It, you know, it's they are kind of on two separate tracks here in a way. I know they've been interconnected with the Nets are going to wait to see what happens with Kevin Durant before moving off Kyrie Irving. I've always felt that if the Nets get the offer they want for Kyrie, that brings them back a quality player, and doesn't force them to take on more salary than they're giving up because of luxury tax concerns that they would do it. Um, That offer is not materialized at this point. The Lakers, as far as I know, are still the only team in the NBA eager to take on Kyrie Irving because it would get them off Russell Westbrook. The Nets don't want Westbrook. There's not a third team that's willing to facilitate this deal at this point. That could certainly change in the next few weeks to a month. But right now, There's just nothing out there for Kyrie Irving either.
2: Great stuff, Chris. Thanks for joining us on short notice. We appreciated it as always. You got it, Dan. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app.
4: Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
2: The truly brilliant all-electric EQE SUV from Mercedes-Benz features some of the smartest tech ever to grace four wheels. With Dynamic Select, you can fine-tune hundreds of vehicle settings to precisely match your driving style. And available in off-road mode, transparent hood lets you see through the sheet metal to steer clear of bumps and potholes directly beneath you. How about that? A 360 array of cameras and sensors constantly alerting you for danger, while 64-color ambient lighting lets you fully customize the ambiance inside the spacious cabin. The EQE SUV is so smart, even the headlights are thinking. Optional digital light technology projects navigation markings and warnings on the road ahead as you drive. The vehicle's all electric. The feeling is all Mercedes. Test drive the EQE SUV. Learn more at MBUSA.com slash EQE dash SUV. As
1: you may have realized, I watch a lot of sports. Like, a lot. That's why I like Prime Video. It has all my live sports and docs in one app. Like Giannis, The Marvelous Journey, and the National Women's Soccer League, both included with Prime.
2: Sal Palantonio, ESPN national correspondent covering the NFL primarily. His 30th training camp in Canton Hall last week. Dick Vermeil even, even gave him a shout-out in his Hall of Fame speech. He's been to the Eagles camp, heading to the Colts, Commanders, Giants, and Jets camps. Also a uh, voter for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And Sal Palantonio joining us on the program. Sal, great to talk to you again. I'm curious. Do you want to be the first reporter who tries ayahuasca? If you're a great reporter, just to be able to relate to Aaron Rodgers, would you be willing to try ayahuasca?
5: (laughs) You got me on that one, (laughs) Dan. Right out of the gate, brother. I love it.
2: (laughs) And, you know, if you don't do it, Andrew Kramer's going to do it.
5: Well, that you know, and then she'll get on with Brian Gumbel, and yep. Brian will get out that pad and make some notes and <laughs> ask her some cogent questions, and we'll all be very entertained.
2: Whenever I watch real sports with Brian Gumble, I always want to know what he's writing down yeah. it,
5: you know, we used to do that when we'd be on
2: Sports Center, we would fake, we would mock the people who would be writing down stuff, you know, after a newscast, like the newscast would be over, and you'd see the anchor write down something, and we'd do that at the end of Sports Center because there was nothing you could write down after the show is over, but Brian always writes these notes down when he's, he's hosting real sports.
5: And and by the way, uh, my money's on the fearless Andrea Kramer.
2: With ayahuasca. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) All right. um, We just, we're talking about the I have a bet. I think the lions are going to be over six wins this year. They're, uh, they're hard knocks this year. Do you want to uh, jump in on that?
5: Uh, I say no. I don't think the Lions will be over six wins. I, I think uh, it is wide open in the NFC. I think they'll be much more competitive. Yeah. But I think teams are just going to blitz their quarterback, and uh, they won't have much answer on offense. And I think it will start week one when the Eagles go into Detroit. I think uh, right now it's a blitzing league, Dan, and if your quarterback can't get out of the way of the blitz, Jimmy Garoppolo, good example Uh, you know you're looking for a dual threat quarterback you're looking for somebody who can get out of the way of the blitz and the reason why it's become a blitzing league is because you know two years ago that point of emphasis of let's not call ticky tack offensive holding so the offensive holding calls went way down in 2020 points scored went way up and defensive coordinators were like hey if you're not going to call offensive holding, we got to get to the quarterback somehow. So we got a blitz. The worst team
2: in football this year will be
5: Oh. I I think it could be still the New York Jets. It'll be between New York and Jacksonville in terms of record. Yeah. I would say those are the two that will struggle the most. I think Jacksonville will get better eventually 2 or 3 years into Doug Peterson's reign. I think Trevor Lawrence, I spoke with him after the Hall of Fame game on the field. He's in a better place than he was last year with Urban Meyer, clearly. And Doug knows what he's doing. He turned around the Eagles after the Chip Kelly disaster. Uh, But it'll be a little bit of a struggle for them. they got a really tough schedule. So do the Jets. Look at the Jets' schedule, Dan. Brutal. Absolutely brutal.
2: I was wondering about the Bears. Feels like they have Justin Fields and nothing else. Roquan sure. Smith wants out. Uh, the Texans, I don't know what the Texans really have, that they would be in the running for the, uh, the worst team in the NFL. Anybody Two good candidates. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be a candidate on that list, but no. <laughs> it, it certainly feels that way. Uh, you're on the Hall of Fame committee. I wanted to ask you, you know, I vote on the Heisman, but nobody tells you what to factor in voting on the Heisman. You know, there's no, you got to consider this. When you vote on the Hall of Fame, are you given any parameters of what you must include or not include?
5: No, but there's quite a bit of information gathering by all of the voters. And, you know, once you get into the room uh, on the day before the Super Bowl, you know, there's a presentation made. There's some really good ones. Bob Glauber makes some great presentations. Ira Kaufman makes some great presentations Uh, over the years. Peter King. Uh, Vic Carucci, they, they, you know, the presentations are detailed. They're passionate. You go in there really, you know, pounding the table for your guy and you're trying to get him in, you know, and uh, I was, uh, you know, honored to be the the representatives for Paul Tagliabue and Harold Carmichael and Dick Vermeule recently, but it takes a team, Dan. So in Vermeule's case, you know, Carl Peterson and Ron Jaworski and the Eagles PR department and Paul Domowich of the Philadelphia Daily News. They all get stuff. They get letters. They'll call voters. There, there's a lobbying campaign. It's not, you know, they say it's supposed to be organic. Well, it's organic for Peyton Manning and Brett Favre and Ray Lewis, but for everybody else, you got to get votes.
2: But how, when's the last time you, it got really heated, the most heated that you've been involved with?
5: Well, th- I would say, the Paul Tagliabue debate was challenging and difficult you know he was the first one that came out of the contributors committee that was rejected by the committee in the whole first and only so that that debate was difficult and uh there were a lot there were there were a lot of really good uh, challenging discussions I wouldn't say it was heated at all I would say they were very challenging discussions in the room these are professionals who have been doing it for a long time and they gather their information and they're passionate. Uh, and, uh, you know, what they do is highly professional for the Hall of Fame. And I, uh, I'm i just proud to be part of it. And then, of course, we had the Centennial Committee that I was on with Bill Belichick and Ron Wolf, And the late great, our great friend, John Clayton. And uh, Tagliabue got in through the Centennial Committee uh, for the 100th anniversary of the league.
2: I was also wondering about this. I go back to Gale Sayers, who had a shortened career when he blew out yep. his knee. And then I didn't feel like we had anybody who had that shortened career but got in because they were unbelievable for five years. Then Terrell Davis got in. And I wonder what role Terrell Davis getting in helped Tony Baselli get in, and can that help Sterling Sharp get in at the wide receiver position?
5: There's no question TD getting in helped Tony Baselli. Now, Tony Pacelli was on the all-decade team of the 90s, even though he only played five years. That's truly exceptional. Yeah. All those Pro Bowls turning the franchise around. You know, uh, my partner on the matchup show, Greg Cosell, I used his quote in, in the meeting uh, where I, Greg Cosell, he said he was the best tackle he ever saw on film. I mean, the, the guy was truly great. And, you know, greatness can be defined in certain time frames. Obviously, he was voted on the old decade team, needed to get in, but TD getting in helped him. Sterling Sharp's in a different category because he's in the seniors. So this year, for the first time, the seniors are nominating three candidates to get in. And I got Sterling Sharp as the number one senior candidate. I'm not voting on the senior committee, but I'm voting on the committee on the whole I think Randy Gratishar, Everson Walls, and and what about Ken Anderson? I mean, you look at Ken Anderson's career with the Bengals. It matches up really well with some guys who got in the Hall of Fame like Dan Fouts. So I think Ken Anderson, to me, is one of the most underrated players of all time and and should get serious consideration by the senior committee. I'm sure he will. Yeah, I've
2: been kind of banging that drum, having grown up in Cincinnati and, and watched him play. Uh, Kenny Riley, to me, is another defensive back who I think should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but, you know, factoring in, Kenny Anderson getting a... You know, if he beat Montana in the Super Bowl, he might be in the Hall of Fame. Like, I, you know, it's like Eli if Eli had one Super Bowl and not two, Sal, is he a Hall of Fame quarterback?
5: Probably not. But Eli Manning... I will vote for him okay. first ballot to get in. Two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs. There are five guys that got two Super Bowl MVPs. Three of them are already in the hall. The other guy's Brady and Eli Manning. So to me, Eli goes in.
2: How do you factor in Philip Rivers' career when, you know, that, the totality of it and lack of postseason success?
5: I think he'll definitely get serious consideration, Dan. There's no question in my mind that he'll make the final 15. He'll be, quote unquote, what we like to say, in the room yeah. on the day before the Super Bowl. And there'll be an, a, a very passionate argument for Phil Rivers, without a doubt.
2: The running back position, Frank Gore, Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Ricky Waters. Well, Roger I, Craig. I've been saying that Ricky Waters Ricky felt like Waters. he was Marshall Falk before Marshall Falk, and you can say Roger Craig might have been in that category, that hybrid running back, wide, you know, uh, pass catcher.
5: I, I'm i a big believer in Roger Craig getting in, and I think Ricky Waters should be getting consideration, and he probably will. I think both of them eventually will get some serious consideration. Uh, I don't know why Roger Craig has not gotten traction Uh, but you look at his numbers and the way i think he redefined the running back position clearly in the the bill walsh offense
2: paulie has been banging the drum for tiki barber and i i he has numbers but then they win the super bowl the year after he retires are you a tiki barber hall of famer fanboy I, (laughs) I,
5: i i i gotta look at it dan i think i think he He's in the conversation.
2: But if you have to I, look, Sal, then maybe he's yeah. not a Hall of Famer.
5: Yeah. Well, I'm not as smart as you, Dan, so I'm gonna look. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna check it out. All right. Paulie, <laughs> you, wanna, go you wanna you wanna tell Sal? To this... <laughs> yeah,
2: Paulie, you wanna help Sal? Yeah, I'll tell job? Sal a little bit about okay. football okay. here.
6: Uh,
1: <laughs> Sal,
6: now I'm not even a Tiki Barber fan personally, and I'm not a Giants fan. I my theory is he started out as a good third down running back for his first four years. And we kind of pegged him as that. But his last five seasons, he had four seasons with 2,000 or more all-purpose yards. The only other guys in that category are Dickerson, Falk, and Walter Payton. He had uh, five seasons over 1,200 yards. He also had 600 catches. And he did most of it in a six-season span.
5: Why don't you put the, a dossier together, <laughs> an email, and I'll, I'll present it to the committee. I'm, I'm an open-minded I, guy. Paulie will do it, Sal. Paulie will do it. do it. Yeah. Todd's got my email, send it over. A- uh, Joe Thomas, Hall of Famer,
2: Darrell Revis, Hall of Famer. You see that happening? I think I think year? Joe Thomas,
5: yeah, he's, okay. he's up for 2023. I, I could see him first ballot getting in right away. Yep. Darrell Revis, I could see him getting in right away. But do sure. the football voters
2: have that bias like the baseball writers do with the first ballot? Like, ah, oh, you can't make first ballot. It's Cal Ripken. You know, like, do you do you find that it's really hard to get in first ballot with the football
5: writers? No, I don't think that it is. Okay, I think there's some people who would like to reserve first ballot for truly special players, like again, Ray Lewis, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, Tom Brady. Those those are first ballot, and uh, I'm I'm in I'm sort of in that category, Dan. I'm sort of in that category. Joe Thomas is first ballot to me.
6: I
2: think Zach Thomas is a Hall of Famer, but and he's, he doesn't yeah. get mentioned. And I I remember talking to Peyton Manning, and he said he might be the brightest guy I ever faced because it felt like he knew what we were doing. Like he, he felt like he he was ahead of you, and you were you know the quarterback on the uh, you know against him. So I I don't know if he gets any traction whatsoever, or what would be the hold. We, who did we talk to yesterday? Oh, Russ, Ross Tucker said he thought that Zach Thomas was better than Brian Urlacher, even though he thinks Brian Erlocker is a Hall of Famer. But why does Zach Thomas not get love?
5: He gets a lot of love, Dan. He's been in the final 15 for a number of years. So um, I think he's close, okay. actually. I think he's real close, and I think he's very deserving. Super tough, super smart, very productive, uh, definitely a Hall of Famer. It's just a matter of when.
2: Uh, The NFC East, do you have the Eagles winning or the
5: Cowboys? I have the Eagles winning. Ha-ha. There's Big Shock. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I do. I think uh, having seen them and been around them, I think they're going to be much more competitive. in, In areas where they were deficient last year, their passing game, their pass rush, their pass defense and coverage and on the back end will all be better. And at the linebacker position, their schedule is very favorable which I think is important. I always look at schedule and how many Pro Bowl quarterbacks are you playing on the road? That to me is very important when you look at the over-under. How many Pro Bowl quality or Mm. Pro Bowl quarterbacks are you playing on the road? And the Eagles don't play very many on the road. So I think that puts them in rarefied air in terms of the easy part of their schedule. So I, I like them a lot. And I think Having seen Jalen Hurts in the last two years, just think about this, in the same offense with the same offensive coaches for two years in a row for the first time since he was 16 years old. Uh, He goes to California. He gets three or four weeks of really good training on his footwork and mechanics. It's really showed his core of his body is stronger. His base is more solid. He's delivering the ball definitely with much more velocity And accuracy, now he just has to make quick decisions. You know, the big thing, the big misconception out there right now is progressions with young quarterbacks. Dan, they're cutting the field in half. And there really is, it's read, throw, or go. Read, throw, or go right now for young quarterbacks. You you look at the safety, and then you cut the field in half, and you're making, you should have, in your past concept, one or two throws. And if you don't have them, then you're gone. That's why Trey Lance will be much better than Jimmy Garoppolo, I think.
2: Uh, who do you think has a better year, Jalen Hurts or uh, Tua Tonga-Bailoa?
5: I think it'll be Jalen Hurts. Okay. I'd, yeah. I think two is going to be good. I think, you know, listen, there's so many quarterbacks that are in a prove-it year. Like three of the four quarterbacks in the NFC East prove-it years. Yeah. Uh, Brand-new quarterbacks in, in the AFC South. I, I call this the year of living dangerously in the NFL because there's so many unknowns. You just start with a 45-year-old quarterback. As the, You know, one of the top Super Bowl contenders in the NFC has a 45-year-old quarterback. <laughs> Great unknown. And by the way, Dan, can you remember the last time that the two quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, were the Rams and the Bengals, started out not really practicing in training camp the following year. Great unknown for the Bengals. What what are we going to get Joe Burrow back on the field and see what he can do post appendectomy? Great unknown for the Rams with the tendinitis with Matthew Stafford. Great unknown with Jalen Hurts with Tua. It's all over the league, Russell Wilson changing teams. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty at the most important position in the league, and I think – the, the league has never been more wide open than I've seen it for 30 years I've been around. It.
2: Will you get your appendectomy, your appendix out, just to understand what Joe Burrow is going through? No. Uh, but, you will not. Okay. All right. Andrea Kramer. Hard. You said Andrea Kramer already <laughs> did play? Yeah, it? yesterday. Wow. That's the difference, Sal. It is the difference. She That's wins. why she's in the
5: Hall of Famer. Yes.
2: She is a Hall of Famer.
5: Yeah. All right.
2: You are Tiki Barber, Sal. (laughs)
5: right, that's good. (laughs) Thank you, Sal. (laughs) I don't mind being Tiki. Hey, Dan, I want to be you someday when I grow
4: up. Uh, Good to talk to you, buddy.
2: From the versatile EQB to the sublime EQS sedan, Mercedes-Benz makes electric extraordinary. The vehicles, all electric. The feeling is all Mercedes. The choice is yours. Learn more mbusa.com EQ.
5: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust